It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Hi. Well, what's going on? I have to bring this up. White House National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow said yesterday that the administration is looking at war-type treasury bonds to finance measures to combat the coronavirus. Hmm. Well, is there going to be a yield on those bonds? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a great idea. He told CNBC, adding this is a time. It seems to me to sell bonds and raise money for the war effort. In this case, the pandemic effort. Kudlow said the bonds would be long-term and would be an effort to keep families and individuals and businesses afloat. This would be a long-term investment into the future of American health, safety, and the economy. Kudlow said it would uh, he would uh, take the idea of the war-type coronavirus bonds to the president. Uh, former Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen said on Monday that a war-type bond might be an appropriate approach to battling the coronavirus. The federal government is going to have enormous deficits. They're going to be rolling, up, uh, rolling in about a trillion dollars for this year. Now, we probably will be looking at deficits rolling up to $2 trillion. So thinking about how to finance those is something worthwhile. Hmm. And maybe a war bond is an appropriate approach, she told CNBC. I have to be a Downing Thomas here. Hmm. <clears throat> why? You would can be you, a Downing McNamara if you I'll like. I'll be a Downing McNamara. Why would you get a... Why would you... I don't want to call it a... a uh, I was going to say a virus bond. I don't think you can... That just doesn't You probably sound, don't want to call it that. That's the first thing that came into my mind. A virus bond. Think of a probably, new name. Probably not. <laughs> the COVID fund. The, the, no, the, no, no, no. You don't no. want to do that. Uh, the Helping America bond, whatever. Right. No, number one, there are so many investment choices for people today. Mm-hmm. Correct? Right. Yes. Uh, number two, it was only, remember the 9-11 bonds? Yeah. People forget about it. Right. Didn't do anything. Nope. Nobody really bought them. Nope. Uh, the, the entire thing is when you talk about a virus, look, people aren't going to donate uh, excuse me, people aren't going to invest long term. They're not going to invest into a war bond for 30 years for 0% interest. Nope. They're not going to invest in a war virus bond, whatever you want to call it, whatever you would call it, uh, for uh, 0% interest for six months or a year or for 10 years. Right. They're not going to do it. No. They're just not going to do it. You've got to come up with a way for them to do it. Long term bonds. And they talk about, you know, the, the uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the bonds, the corporate bonds that are in the trillions. Mm-hmm. They said if you can come up with some kind of interest rate for a long-term 30-year bond, and they talked about the different investment in it. But if you're talking about the war bond where the average person would buy it, not going to happen. Yeah, uh, it's because, again, it, it goes it, it goes down to the incentive. Um, it's all about the incentive. Are people going to do it? Is the mindset the same as it as, as it was when they did war bonds? No. So that that type of incentive is gone. I mean, there might be a few people that would do it for the sake of their country, but that's not going to that's not going to be the driver. So what do you do? You got to have something that that promotes growth. You got to have something where you can say, "Look, if I buy these bonds now, my kids or grandkids or whatever, 
Uh, we'll have them later. Uh, even if I don't cash them in later in life, I can, I can leave them for family and there's going to be some growth there. You're not just parking money. I think uh, I believe um, I read something on this the other day, and so I'm doing this from memory, that it was like a, a percent and a half for a 10-year bond back then. Mm. Yeah. And the longer-term bonds over that were like uh, were like 3%. Mm. Who's going to offer that now? Right. But it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to investing now. People want to see a return on the, their investment or be guaranteed a solid interest rate. Yeah. When exactly. tr- when Treasury bills are giving you, what's a three three month T bill giving you? Zero. It's a negative. I it's probably ne- negative interest. <laughs> I, have, I haven't checked. I haven't checked in a week. Have they gone to negative interest yet? But if you if you can't if you can't offer something that's different, if you're simply going to say because of patriotism. Or you're simply going to rename the bond mm-hmm. yeah. instead of your typical, you know, uh, three months. Well, if we're talking treasury bills, not a bond, but a treasury bill, the treasury. Bill. If if they're basically mirroring what exists already, but you just change the name. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're financing that debt anyway. Well, you're financing exactly. the debt by a different name. Well, and, and that's the point is that what what would you do? You would create the bond to do what? To bring some kind of emotional response from the American public. In other words, let's all do our part. You know, um, buy now, buy bonds. And, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm, it, it, today's society isn't isn't that. It's not what it was before. It, it, this is some kind of emotional appeal. I think they're floating the idea here. Cudlow is floating the idea here to see if it sticks. There isn't. It, it's not going to. There's There's no reason to do this when you have other, again, other means of raising that money or... Or funding this whole thing, which, by the way, <laughs> we're already we're already talking about stimulus for the president talking about being on board for it. Um, let's let's just hit the brakes on creating a, a bond that has some kind of, I don't know, uh, emotional appeal, because well, it, that's not going to be and, enough. And here's a difference, too, when, you know, they they really accelerated, you know, the the war bond uh, movement after um, uh, after the Pearl Harbor was attacked right and remember they had hollywood out there you know the the hollywood uh was out selling remember they would do those oh, yeah. the bond tours yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah to go buy the bond and you could buy a bond relatively cheap mm-hmm. but what happened after we went what happened now we were coming out in 1939 we were coming out of the depression in 39 mm-hmm. uh as as you People probably don't know. <laughs> if we don't know the freezer, I was going to say is pro- people probably know. And I, then I thought to myself, wait a minute, uh, 70% of Americans can't tell you the three branches of government. Yeah, so right. I, yeah, maybe they I, don't I, know, right? Maybe I can't do that. Our listeners know, though. Yeah. So what happened in ni- what happened after, um, you know, 1939, 1940, we're coming out of it. And uh, after December 7th, 1941, what happened? Well, employment skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. You have the opposite effect now. Right. And so you're looking at this saying, who, what, what kind of money are you trying to raise? And are you going to get it from millennials? No. No. Because you're going to have a ton of people in their 20s and 30s hit hard. And some of the highest unemployment rate we've had since the Depression. Now, it may just be short term. But right now, 
and I don't know for how long, they're not looking for a 30-year or 20-year or 10-year investment. No. No, they are not. And, I, I mean, again, um, as you mentioned, the timing is really off. Uh, if If there were an incentive when we get, if there is an incentive when we get on the other side of this, maybe. But, frankly, the incentive would be where? It would it would be greater in the stock market if we're on the other side of this. Yesterday was a good day, up over sixteen hundred points. Right now, the Dow futures up several hundred right now, so that's good. We're over twenty three thousand again right now on the Dow. Uh, that's a positive sign that the market right now is is pricing a number of things in. Uh, those checks heading the bank soon, unemployment starting, the federal unemployment starting. Um, and that helping, that's going to help people again and, pay their bills. And two two good days and fewer deaths than the day before, or right. fewer cases also right. of coronavirus. Slowing of the rate of the, yes. Right, slowing of the rate of the number of people getting it. Right. And promoted by the governor yesterday of New York, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and therefore, boom. And I noticed in my own county, too, oh, you know what you can do wherever you live? Mm. Go to your county's website. You can get down to your zip code. Yeah, as to right. the number of people in your zip code. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That have right. the 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 coronavirus. Now right. I'm guessing in my zip code. I was looking at it yesterday. I'm guessing there's about in my zip code maybe uh, f- anywhere between five to eight thousand homes mm. in my zip code. Mm. How many people have been diagnosed with the coronavirus? Mm. Four. And so you look at that and you go, all right, you think about everybody is really going to the same, you know, supermarkets and same places around and have been doing it for the last couple of months, except from from three weeks ago. And so I'm thinking to myself, if you've got anywhere between five and eight thousand homes, you're talking about in that zip code, roughly twelve to twenty thousand people. I just, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure in my zip code. I'm not right, sure right. exactly where it is. So I'm doing a, a rough guess. Mm hmm just for the, the, the sake of discussion and speculation. Mm. But you the, you yourself the question, and that's the question the doctors are asking. Do a ton of us, did a ton of us get and have the virus and we just really showed no symptoms and it's passed through us and is gone and we have the antibodies to prevent it? Right. And that was still some of the discussion that was going on over the weekend, right. too. That was yeah. the same discussion sure. going on. They're like, sure. well, we need, we need to know that. We really need to know that. And if you have the hydrochloroquine and, and ZPAC work, mm-hmm. and if we have that over the next couple of days, well, then we're going to see 1,600 and we'll be back to 29,000 by the end of the week. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you see this trend again, it's, and this is something that Dr. Fauci spoke of over the weekend, um, at the press event and also in the media, He's been talking about that this week, and they had, they had said it over the weekend. This week is going to be a bad week. But the promising part of it is that we may be close to reaching the peak. And they didn't always expand on that. Some were saying, well, because they believe this could be seasonal, or they just believe that the virus itself is not going to, uh, or, or that the policies in place, or all the above, by the way, all the policies in place are helping if people are staying at home. Um, and because someone made the point over the over the weekend, the virus itself doesn't travel. People do. And so when you look at that and 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 you put that again into effect, 
I don't want the country shut down. I don't. I think they've gone overboard in many areas in terms of what they have shut down. However, if we get this behind us and say this was an overreaction, that's going to be a good day because it means that we've that we're we're ahead of it. We're done with it, and it also means that as long as we don't go into this big, huge hole of a depression, that we can get back to work sooner that we can get back to what we were doing and i you know the 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 theories are all over the place could it be a week i mean a month could it be three months could it be you know or will it take till the end of the year i think getting back to normal is probably going to take longer than a year in terms of the economy a lot of those businesses that are shut down right now won't come back but if we can get back to normal if everybody is going back to work and is able to go back to work then eventually we will recover. And that's, again, I think what what you're seeing right now. I think there's confidence in the markets right now that we're close to getting a grasp on this. I hope that holds. I hope that's true and not, and not fake confidence. 866-90-RED-EYE. Cold weather takes a toll on trucks. As warmer weather rolls in, it's time to assess the impact winter has had on your vehicle before you find yourself stranded roadside this spring. Begin your spring maintenance routine by inspecting your brake system and listen closely for any air leaks. During winter, water and moisture that builds up in your air brake system almost always freezes and turns to ice, which can damage your air valves, air dryers, and other essential components. Check and drain your tanks to help keep water, contaminants, and corrosion at bay. Also, check your slack adjusters for proper stroke and lubrication and check your brake lining or pads to ensure proper thickness. If you identify any air leaks or other issues during your inspection, find a TA truck service shop near you to have your brake system inspected by the technicians you can trust. This maintenance tip is brought to you by TA Truck Service. More bays, more expertise, more solutions. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RUD-EYE. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Boris Johnson uh, yesterday moved to uh, hospital's intensive care unit. That's the British Prime Minister, for people that don't know. Yeah. 50, uh, 55 years old, so. Right. Um, uh, and you, you look at him, he doesn't he doesn't look like the healthiest person. We, we wish him all the best, of course. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Prime Minister, but um, I don't I don't know... Was he a smoker at one point? I'm not sure if he was. Um, don't I say vaping. I didn't see. You know, yeah, I don't want to hear right. from the vaping guy tonight. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we wish him all the best. He's getting the best treatment you can get uh, in Great Britain. And I think right now, well, you know, having been, he was now, he was self-quarantined. He was diagnosed 10 days before Sunday. So we're going now, what, 12 days ago mm-hmm. that he was diagnosed. And then on Sunday, they decided to put him in the hospital now in ICU. I saw one headline saying, you know, he's in the battle of his life. Um, and again, we wish him well. Our thoughts and prayers are with the prime minister. Did you see uh, Cheryl Atkinson's column in John Solomon's uh, site? 
Mm. News media liberals mock conservatives for earlier pandemic comments they made themselves. Mm. And goes she, she goes through, uh, there's got to be, there's dozens and dozens and yeah, dozens and right. dozens. And we said this a couple of weeks ago. We said, look, nobody had any idea. Mm-hmm. Two, you know, two and a half months ago. Right. Nobody did. Well, this is the this is the problem, and I saw that a lot with uh, you know Dr. Fauci. Uh, there's this I don't know. There's this new thing of you know fire Fauci, right? Hashtag fire Fauci mm-hmm. because of something he said in January, something he said in 2017. If you follow along with what he has been saying, and and then the other one was, um, well, he's in with big pharma because he's all about immunizations. He's an immunologist. <laughs> That's that's kind of what he does. And well, the conspiracy theories coming out now are just uh, well, I mean, but but the thing you know, of him saying yeah, him saying in in 2017, while well, the president is going to you know he's going to deal with a surprise uh, pandemic or a surprise virus or disease. The if you go back to what he has been saying for years, Doctor Fauci, um, it is he has been talking about the wet markets in Asia and and how. They have been the birthplace of many of these viruses and diseases that go worldwide. And there was belief in the medical community that if they don't shut this activity down, that this kind of activity, if it doesn't shut down, then then other people that visit these wet markets or are in contact with people that do are going to, again, spread these new viruses, whatever comes about. You're eventually going to have... And and we've seen that in recent years. Um, they weren't dealing with it on necessarily on this level during the Obama years, but I mean H one N one, all the things over the years, SARS, and everything else that that the global medical community and governments have dealt with. It was probably a given, I think, that if this president was going to be a two term president, and I hope he is that he was going to deal with something in that eight years. Well, didn't take eight years in this case. It only took a little over three. Well, she just goes through, Cheryl Atkinson just goes through all the different people and the things, you know, that they were saying on the right, but also on the left, saying, look, there's as, as many or more people on the left that was oh, yeah. that were uh, poo-pooing this. And as we have said from the very, very beginning, uh we look at this and say, you know, once you know how serious it is, how do you deal with it at at that at that particular point is really the only basis that you can judge it on. Whether you are a, you know, have a crystal ball to figure out in January where this virus was going to go, especially with the disinformation that we got from China. Mm. Anybody who tells you they know where it was going to go in January is lying to you. Exactly. Anybody and- in the United States who's not a medical doctor over in China at that time, outside of the the reins well, of exactly. the authorities of China, yeah. if they tell you that they know what was going on, they're lying to you. Yep. They didn't.
Broadcasting from a secure containment zone, Gary McNamara and Eric Harley on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Eric, I just want to play this uh, audio cut and it came from CNBC yesterday. Okay. And I want to play this because uh, my buddy Jerry, who is in, he may be listening right now, my buddy Jerry, who's in the mortgage industry said this to me i think i've just lost track of time over the last couple of days with everything going on uh in in the last week to 10 days i believe is when he told me this he said the mortgage industry could be in major 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 problems mm. because of what's going on here and i want to play this uh from uh this from is from cnbc the other day from uh, Diana uh, Olick reporting on it, but here we go. Here we go. Mortgage market could be on the brink of a collapse. Diana Olick joins us right now. She's got that story, and Diana, this is pretty concerning. What are you hearing? Absolutely, Becky. On Saturday, a broad coalition of mortgage and finance industry leaders sent a plea to federal regulators for desperately needed cash. Requests from borrowers for the federal mortgage forbearance program are flooding in at an alarming rate. Services are granting those monthly payment deferrals with no questions asked as required, but the servicers still have to pay the mortgage bondholders. The coalition, headed by the Mortgage Bankers Association, said the scale of this forbearance program could not have been foreseen by mortgage servicers or fully anticipated by regulators. It is therefore incumbent upon the government to provide a liquidity facility for single-family and multifamily servicers, any further delay could lead to greater uncertainty and volatility in the market. Now, I spoke with Jay Bray, CEO of Mr. Cooper, the largest non-bank servicer in the nation, with close to 4 million mostly government-backed loans. It alone has already granted over 80,000 forbearances, and there are more coming in. Bray helped regulators to set up the plan himself and was told there would be federal cash for servicers, but that never made it into the final act. He says without it, quote, there is going to be complete chaos. Servicers will go under, leaving even more borrowers in the lurch. Dave Stevens, who headed the FHA during the subprime crisis and was a former CEO of the MBA, said borrowers should have been required to show at least some proof of hardship, which they had to during subprime, and a liquidity facility for servicers is vital. Quote, this is a crisis so easily correctable. The administration made a huge mistake bringing moral hazard in and thrust extraordinary risk into the private sector that could collapse the mortgage market. Both Stevens and Bray say it is already much harder now for borrowers to get new loans or refinance old loans because of the incredible risk suddenly hitting the mortgage market. It's exactly what my buddy Jerry told me last week. Yeah. He said, wait, this is coming down here. That because because so many don't have to pay right right now that the bondholders still have to get paid. Mm-hmm. Where's the bailout for the servicers? And when they go, boom, everything collapses. Right. That could be a big deal because we're right now we're looking at at what? I mean, everybody has the plan at about ninety to one hundred and twenty days. Well, yeah. You go much further than that, and you you could see a real collapse. Uh, in other news, and I, you know, you and I have talked about how we, <laughs> what do you guys believe about the coronavirus? I don't believe anything. I, I see what the experts believe and where they believe we should go. Is there a differing opinion from some experts out there? Yeah. You know, we've talked about the hydroxychloroquine and the Z-Pack 
and the fact that it seems like more doctors every day are coming on and even those politicians who were initially against it, Cuomo, for example, moving in a more general direction now that it's being used because hospitals have the discretion to use it and they're using it. Right. And as Peter Navarro said, he believes every patient in New York right now that has coronavirus has been given it. Now, so we're going to know pretty soon. But what about overall how we have handled this? And you and I said last week before I left that that eventually we're going to know. Eventually, it's all going to be mapped out. We're going to know how many people had it. Oh, yeah. We're going to know how many people had it and how many people were immune to it. And the public is going to make an analysis, a cost-benefit analysis, and say, was it worth what we went through? And there are going to be politicians on both sides, including the president of the United States, that could be vulnerable to that. Even if you consider it unfair, it doesn't matter. People will make that analysis. Yep. They, they always do. Yep. We as a society do that all the time. I know it's not, nothing is exactly the same. Not everything is oranges to oranges. But you can still look at it and say we do make cost-benefit analysis mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Driving the car is one of those ways right there. Right. We know that there's going to be roughly, what, thirty five to 40,000 deaths every single year. Every single year there's going to be that death rate. We don't lower the speed limit to 10 miles an hour because that would inconvenience people and hurt the economy. Would it hurt the economy to the level that the economy is being hurt right now? Not even close. No. But, I'm going to be really late for work, but other than that... Well, no, it's going to be it, it look we there are a number of risks every single day that we are comfortable taking. Well, and we- and I I mean I I don't know it's the list <laughs> the list is pretty long think about it. Our 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 kids number one cause of of death of teenagers is car crashes. Yet at 15 we start teaching them at 16 we hand them the keys. Here we go. This is from the Washington Times. A faction of public health scholars say there may be a better way to approach the coronavirus pandemic than shelter-in-place rules that have brought the U.S. economy to a screeching halt. Their views are outside the current mainstream of the medical community, but the scientific take is anchored in two statistical threads that have held up in data collected from around the world over several weeks, namely that the virus is more lethal among the old and the sick. And as the data becomes more available, the mortality rates appear to be more closely mirrored to the seasonal fuel, uh, flu, excuse me. It is very clear that data, it is very clear from the data that older people and people with underlying chronic conditions are at the higher risk of mortality from the infection, uh, said uh, Dr., uh, excuse me, said Jay. Uh, <laughs> professor of medicine at Stanford University. Excuse me, because I butchered your name. I'm sure I did. Mm. The key guide to public policy in the coming days will be the population prevalence of antibodies. Communities that are very far along the epidemic curve might cautiously have stayed in place uh, with orders relaxed. Those early uh, along the epidemic curve will need support to avoid overcrowding of medical facilities. A handful of Stanford researchers independently came to the similar conclusion. Based on what we've seen so far, the infection mortality rate does not appear to be so horrible. It may be in the same ballpark as seasonal flu. 
All the physicians who discuss this topic with the Washington Times stress the coronavirus, which has swept across the world first since infecting people in China, is a serious threat and one that deserves a robust public health response. The argument comes down to a balancing act, however, between the economic and mental health repercussions of sustained closings and quarantines and the need to maintain economic activity. I don't want to underestimate its potential to spread, said one doctor, but there's a difference between freezing everything and events that bring thousands of people together. There has to be some solution between those extremes. While a decided minority, the Stanford researchers are not alone in questioning the popular defense against the virus. I am deeply concerned that the social, economic, and public health consequences of this near-total meltdown of normal life, schools and businesses closed, gatherings banned, will be long-lasting and possibly graver than the direct toll of the virus itself, said Dr. David Katz, founder of Yale University's Prevention Research Center, recently wrote in the New York Times, the unemployment, impoverishment, and despair likely to result will be public health scourges of the first order. And then they go across the, the you know the ocean to Europe, where you have some doctors saying the same thing. Yeah. And look, it may be the minority opinion now, but it's not going to be the minority opinion if we find out, for example. And again, everything is an if because we still don't know. Yeah. But if we find out that whoa, the majority of the public was already infected, and that's the one thing that we've talked about—the mortality rate—and I think this is where they're going. What they suspect is this thing may be extremely contagious. I haven't seen anything where that said that it's not contagious, that it's not, that they believe it's not nearly as contagious. What they're saying is they don't believe it's as lethal. And I do believe that there's this growing belief that many medical researchers believe this thing has spread a lot more through the population than we've thought because they do believe that it is more contagious. And therefore, if it is, well, then it should be spreading everywhere. Well, what they, what some are speculating is that if it gets to the point of where it's actually spread through tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions of Americans, that the death rate at that point will skyrocket to the point of being near the flu. I think that's where they're going with that. Yeah, right. And I mean, you can you can only hope that there are there are plenty of people that if you know that is the case, that there are plenty of people that are out there that have it. And that are asymptomatic and won't get any worse, which means there are plenty of people, the majority of people aren't affected greatly by it. If, again, that's what they find, that would be good news. That would mean the overwhelming majority of the population would not would not suffer ill consequences from the virus. Well, the one thing that it's, and again, we do talk radio, so we talk anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it has been pretty taboo to talk about, as we have been talking about for weeks, because we said, look, it's going to be something that comes in to the political discussion, the cost-benefit analysis. And if it isn't as great, there will be hell to pay. Oh, yeah, sure, right. And that's just the reality of it. And to say that it doesn't matter and should not be, we shouldn't be concerned about it with all, just follow this one thing, well, that's not going to happen in a free society. People are going to talk and say, wait a minute, hold it. As we find out more information, look, it was Dr. Burks who said a week ago Sunday, she's the one that came out and said, look, something's wrong here. The pop, the public does know that it went from 2.2 million deaths in the United States to between 100,000 and 200,000 and an 80% chance. And it's between 38,000 and 168,000. I think that's what I'm doing right. this from memory from yeah. last week. Right. 
Well, that's a heck of, that's 20 times or more or 30 times or 40 times less than they thought it was going to be. And society has all been shut down because of it. Everybody across both sides, incumbents on both sides, may face the wrath of the public over that come November. Right. Yep. And again, um, this is... Uh, you you can't put the studies together, You can't, or you can't put the data together and show the trends until you've got time behind you. And that's the unfortunate part of this, is that public policy will be in place probably longer then the virus will be dangerous. Who wants to be the first to send their kids to a public school? I don't trust public schools with my kids on a regular basis. <laughs> exactly. exactly. A pandemic? Right. Not to knock the teachers. I'm talking about policies that are in place. Well, you've, you've convinced the public this is extremely serious. Yes. Extremely serious where your, your economic well-being in your life that you've worked for possibly for decades could be totally and completely destroyed. Yeah. If you come back six months from now and say, oops, hmm. doesn't matter whether you didn't know. No. Look, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just, we're just talking about what would happen, how, how society would respond. And at that point, they'd say, look, the cost benefit analysis of this just didn't make sense. Right. What you did didn't make sense. Because it didn't end up being that dangerous. But we didn't know that. Doesn't matter. Nope. Doesn't matter. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. Carly and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. I just love this headline, Wall Street Journal editorial. The Teachers Union Ate My Homework. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, and this is about school districts fear lawsuits if they grade remote assignments. Wow. The U.S. Department of Education could help with some guidance about how schools can move forward on remote teaching. If the feds don't take the lead, the teachers union will. To the detriment of students, not every student has a laptop or Wi-Fi to study online during the shutdowns. In some districts, this has inevitably, uh, inevitably led, uh, had an adverse effect on poor students or children who don't speak English as their first language. Schools fear that if they produce online lessons that not all students can equally access, they could lose federal funding or face litigation under the Civil Rights Act or the Equal Educational Opportunities Act. Well, just give them a long vacation then. Everybody gets a long vacation. Yeah, don't make them do the work. Yeah. Everybody just take take a few days off. And by a few, I mean like a year. The teachers union uh, uh, loathe assignments in the best of times, and now they're claiming that the only fair recourse is to stop tracking the progress of all students until schools reopen. For students who have no online access to teacher tutoring with visual aids, mandatory grading is essentially a guarantee that they will be left behind. School administrators are apparently accepting this argument, saying, wow, no education if it can't be done in the schoolroom. Wow. There you go. Well, we don't need no education. That's what we don't Pete need Floyd told me anyway. And...
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Pilot Flying J Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. RedEyeRadioShow.com where we stream live, get our app, put it on your phone and listen all the time, anytime in the news this morning. We just had a very friendly conversation. Uh, lasted probably 15 minutes. And uh, it was really good. It was really good. Really nice. I think it was very much so. I appreciate his calling. Uh, that's the president talking about his conversation with Joe Biden. Yeah. Meanwhile, after the president brought it up last week, we didn't hear much about it, but he brought it up again yesterday. We're in the Middle East for $8 trillion. And if you want to fix a pothole in a highway, you can't do it because they don't want to give you the funds. So we want to have an infrastructure bill, a real one, like in the vicinity of $2 trillion to completely rebuild our roads, our bridges, our highways, our our tunnels. Everything. Uh, and I'm totally open to listening to that. It's interesting because he brings it up and then everybody, both Democrat and Republican, are really silent about it. You yeah. hear nothing. I mean, you hear right. no more further discussion. Right. He said it last week and it was we, we were wondering and said, wow, it it just he says it, brings it up and nobody really discusses it after that. It's no. really it's interesting because everything else he brings up, they would. Mm-hmm. And you would think that you would have some Democrats come out and loudly say Two trillion, maybe we can get three trillion. <laughs> right. for it. Yeah. Let's right. let's let's negotiate. We love we're Democrats. We love infrastructure programs. And I'm wondering whether they're just like, oh, darn it, he beat us to the punch. Now we really can't support him on this, can we? Not six months out from an election, we can't say we stand with our president for an infrastructure program. And of course, Republicans are against it. Yeah, I wonder how far it will get in the Senate. I, I think they're going to have a lot more. They're going to have a a lot more. Um, of a brick wall in the Senate than they had with the first one. I don't the first think one, you may not even see it come up. Yeah, in terms of the the, the, um, infrastructure. the infrastructure thing. Yeah, yeah it, it could be it could be you know dead on arrival there on Capitol Hill. But I think you're going to probably see some resistance to go um, as far. If you look at at um, Lindsey Graham's amendment that he wanted to put in to make sure that the Unemployment was capped at 100% of what someone was making before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I said, well, if it were us, we would we would lower it even more, 80 or 90% of what they were making before. That way, there would be an incentive to go back to work when we open up for business. But you can't do that, of course, politically. And so he capped it at 100%. And that amendment, it failed. It needed 60 votes, and it, but it got 48. And I was shocked he got 48. I believe they'll probably go back um when they're revisiting this i think in the senate right now they're probably already having the the discussion as to what will be spent and how it will be spent because you have families that will be getting the money uh the average family of four getting thirty four hundred dollars total even if they're not affected directly by coronavirus even if the uh the the you know, one or both of the parents is is working or no one is unemployed as a result of 
the coronavirus. It's you're you're handing out money to people that weren't directly affected by it. And we've talked about the fact that millions can get relief from their mortgage payments if it's you know if their mortgages are federally backed. Millions could by just saying I'm affected by the coronavirus without having to actually present any evidence mm-hmm. that they need it. And as we brought you earlier, CNBC and my buddy Jerry, who's in the mortgage biz- business, told me over a week ago, he said, this is going to cause real problems. You can't do this. You just can't give them this kind of relief. So uh, those are some of the things that you know we, we may be uh, facing. As to the coronavirus itself, sometime this week, I just believe that some doctors are going to come out and say, because we know... If, if we're getting even from Cuomo yesterday that the, yeah, we're ordering more from the federal government. We want more doses of the uh, hydroxychloroquine and, and ZPAC. We got to get as many as possible. You know, mm-hmm. I guess what they had 29 million or something in storage. Yeah, right. You know, ready to roll on. It's like it's ready to roll out. Well, we're going to know because it seems to be growing. If it's If it's anecdotal evidence, all the anecdotal evidence is going in one direction. Yeah, right. And so I do believe that uh, you are going to have some medical groups come out and say, okay, well, they really have sort of said, all right, it's open everywhere. Yeah. Even Cuomo came out and said a hospital can offer it at its discretion. Mm-hmm. And I know that's true because a friend of mine's father in New York got treated last week, went in, mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. and uh, found out it was coronavirus, got it uh, within 36 hours, showed remarkable improvement and a little over 48 hours out of the hospital. Yeah, And we also know someone that we talked about before uh, uh john mcconnell who works uh uh for the company that represents both you and i mm-hmm. and he used to be our big boss when we worked for abc too yeah now Great guy. <laughs> actually we don't work directly with them right now <laughs> you're right though technically yeah, no, they no, represent technically us we're... they work for that that's yeah, right yeah he works for us now oh yeah he works for my oh, how the right, tables right. have turned wait he works for the company he he wait a minute he works for the company that works for us Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't work directly <laughs> I, with us, but we, we never great t- guy. We never told him that, did we? We we had a couple that conversations. We're his boss. Yeah. Uh, no, I I sent him a letter and made it very clear. <laughs> but uh, John, and he had it. I was reading an article. He had it really, really bad. I mean, he. Yeah. Uh, the story was talking about that. You know, they made sure their wills were in you know place, wow, and wow. I didn't know anything about this. I just read this yeah, yesterday. Yeah, you, you sent it to me. Yeah, and I was wow. like, whoa. And it's just, we're glad to see him, but a couple of days in, he got it, and, uh, you know, uh, apparently it's worked very well for him. You had that Democrat Democrat state representative who said, I took it, and within two hours, I started feeling better. Now, again, that's anecdotal evidence. I want to make that clear. I'm right. not, we're not saying that that's the medical evidence that is absolute that this works without question, because we don't know. We're just saying that it keeps growing. She said, I wouldn't have known about it unless Trump said it. Trump said it. I knew right. about it. Right. He did it. It's worked mm-hmm. for, for me. You have more, you know, Cuomo coming out and saying, you know, the other day, look, we've opened it up to hospitals. And so now they can, you know, now they can uh, uh, offer it at their discretion. And that seems to be the case across America. So since it's been about a week of doing this, we should start knowing in the next couple of days whether you have a growing consensus of doctors saying, look, this is where you've got to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of people who have coronavirus or is it to the hundred thousand mark yet Mm. i don't know but it all depends how many people have gotten it and are they paying attention well they got to be paying attention and documenting it all along the way oh sure yeah 
And so we should know. And you saw the stock market rebound to just a little good news, which was two days in a row in New York mm. went, went down. Just for mm-hmm. two days in a row went down. Right. And so, boom. I know the county that uh, I live in. I was looking at the the uh, how many people you know were, had, had acquired over the last five days. Every day it's going down. Mm. Right. And so you look at it and say... Uh, I, you don't want to get overly optimistic, but it's like, is this where we want to be? And and therefore, how long will it uh, be? Uh, you We talked just briefly, you know, bringing sports into it a little bit. Major League Baseball and the Union discussing whether to play all games in Arizona. Mm. Putting all 30 teams in the Phoenix area and playing in empty ballparks was among the ideas discussed Monday by Major League Baseball and the Players Association. The sides held a telephone call to talk about pass forward for a season delayed by the coronavirus pandemic. People familiar with the discussion told the Associated Press they spoke on condition of anonymity. Half of the Major League Baseball clubs hold spring training in Arizona, the other half in Florida. The advantage to Arizona, all 10 ballparks and the Arizona Diamondback Stadium within 50 miles of each other. Yeah, It allows for the immediacy of a schedule where you might be able to begin it and televise it and provide Major League Baseball to America, uh, said Scott Boris, baseball's most prominent agent. Oh, you're not getting paid, huh? I think players are willing to do what's necessary because I think they understand the importance of baseball to their own livelihoods. Yeah, I think that's a pretty decent statement there, accurate. Mm. And for the interest of our country in providing a necessary product that gives all people that are isolated enjoyment. Eh, maybe not necessary. Could be important to some people. I don't think necessary. Mm. Maybe uh, overselling it a little bit. We yeah. understand why you are. You're an agent and you get a cut. Yeah, right. It gives them a sense of return to uh, uh, normalcy. And it and it sure does. But uh, I don't know. I don't know whether they'll go for that or not. Uh, the Masters now rescheduled. I guess the PGA Championship sometime in August, was it? And then the Masters... Scheduled, I believe, for the second weekend in November. Hmm. Hey, Augusta, does it get cold in November? <laughs> and the one I heard the other day, it was a buddy of mine, a Cleveland Browns fan, was like moaning and groaning, saying, do you hear the latest rumors? And I went, no. And he said, the NFL, I heard they're talking about, the rumors are talking about an eight-game season. I can't yeah. believe it. And I said, you should be happy. You're a Browns fan. That means you don't have nine losses this year. Yeah, right. Uh, you're not losing. That's a good not, day. Right. Take the win where you can get it. <sighs> or the non-win. Or the non-lose. Yeah, um, it will be interesting to see where this, uh, how far this goes. Again, the closings, I think closing down the country is going to last longer than the the pandemic itself. Um, I hope, by the way, I hope I'm wrong about that. But we asked early on. How many of these people making these calls on the local, county, state level are are using real information, using updated information, and are willing to reconsider when new information presents a, a much better picture? Um, when you when you go back to some of the early models that were flawed to begin with, the Ferguson model which assumed the the entire model was based on the assumption that nothing would be done about it, which is ridiculous. 
And that's one that showed 2.2 million Americans would die yeah. from it. Right. And so, even, and so it's, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the kind of, and then you get what? You get the overreaction by local leaders. Nobody wants to be the last guy to make the call. Nobody's going to be, nobody's going to want to be the first guy to well, make the call in open business. The, 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 still the problem is with all of this is even if, if, uh, if, Death rates, and they will start going down in all likelihood in the next couple of weeks. We've seen already in many areas they are. We've seen the number of people in a lot of different places over the last couple of days actually head down. The number of new cases, which is good. There's always a concern, well, this could flare up again. You're really not going to be able to get a handle on this unless, well, well, one of two things happens, and one happens almost immediately, and that's that the hydroxychloroquine Z pack works. Yeah. If doctors say it works, and they say, "Oh, you know, you'll know." I mean, we'll know. We'll be able to see a huge number. You know, one of the numbers we've looked at is the number of people right now that have recovered from it, and it seems to be very slow. Yeah. Right. But if you if that drastically accelerates over the next couple of weeks. And the doctors come out and start saying, and look, they're documenting all of this. And all of a sudden you find out a week from now that we use this on because the data should be there. Right. Yeah. We use this on hypothetically. All right. I'm just throwing this out for 10,000 people. 9,000 showed imp- drastic improvement. Yeah. Right. Boom. Yep. At at that point, well, uh, you know, at, at that point, it's going to be across the board. And you will see an acceleration in getting the economy back going again sooner, I do believe. The, but the one problem that might stop that is we still don't have a massive antibody test because that's the one question we don't know. That would change everything if you took an antibody test uh, and a sample that would – a random sample that you could extrapolate across America to show how many people actually have gotten it. Because that's the one thing I think the doctors are wondering right now. They still believe it's as contagious and possibly more contagious than the flu. The question is, is it more deadly? Or are there so many people across America that have actually been uh, in contact with it, gotten the actual uh, coronavirus into their system and remained asymptomatic? Right, And the fact is that means they produce the antibodies and they're immune. And that's where you're getting, we talked about a small faction of doctors saying, look, if that works out to be the way we believe it is, this will just be as deadly as the flu. That's the point. We just don't know how many people may be immune and have already gotten it. Right. And so those are the two things really that, but the antivirus is it that's months away from being able to get that sample because the FDA still hasn't approved uh and I said antivirus an antibody test yet right and so that would still take what month month or two oh easy yeah so really it's the hydroxychloroquine z pack and that seems to be the one that they're focusing on right now and we should know if the tens of thousands of people if navarro said every single patient in new york is now getting it Mm-hmm. He said it yesterday on, you know, and so Peter Navarro, economic advisor to the president. That's true. And Cuomo said, we're asking the federal government for a lot more. Right. They'll know in a week. Yeah. 
And this is this could be the optimism that the market is seeing right now. I wondered, I looked for stories whether, you know, whether there was any optimism on that. We know the optimism was the little downturn of the curve, mm-hmm. but is that because of what's being of put it. in place, right? Right. Yep. 86690 red eye. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey has this year's first crop progress report. For the week ending April 5th, the world has changed a bit, but agriculture goes on. The list of crops being surveyed includes cotton. Looking at the national number, we see 7% of the intended cotton acreage planted by April 5th. That is slightly ahead of the five-year average of 5%. That's also ahead of what we saw this time last year, also 5%. He says Arizona and Texas are the only two major cotton-producing states reporting any planting progress. There's only one other state that typically reports any planting progress by this point. California, 3% is the five-year average number, but we don't see any planting yet this year, in part because it was a cool, wet March and so still waiting for soils to warm up and dry out. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The USDA report is brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium Highway Diesel Fuel. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. If you want to get to pre-coronavirus, you know, that might not ever happen in the sense of the, the fact that the threat is there. But I believe with the therapies that will be coming online and with the fact that I feel confident that over a period of time we will get a good vaccine, that we will never have to get back to where we are right back now. And is the confidence in a good vaccine what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago? And I haven't seen any update on that that researchers believe that it's a slow evolving virus which means the vaccine it won't be like the flu because the flu as we know influenza evolves very quickly right but is this a belief that coronavirus doesn't evolve uh as quickly and so they'll be more accurate in the vaccine in the I, future? I i would think i would think that they believe that they can get on top of the strain very quickly and the vaccine would work very effectively here is your national forecast Unsettled weather continues in the west with a couple of low-pressure areas providing some snow in the higher elevations of the California mountains and then on eastward into the state of Nevada. For San Diego, we will continue to see rain showers today. Some spotty showers for L.A. remain and a chance of thunderstorms for Southern California. The desert southwest will be dry. Seattle and most of Oregon remain dry today, as well as Idaho, Montana. Snow for western Wyoming, but that'll be between I-80 and I-90. As we move eastward, low pressure will provide more thunderstorms for the upper Great Lakes, the Midwest, and portions of the Deep South today. For Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois, look for the possibility of another round of severe weather today. Tomorrow, that system shifts eastward, bringing rain to the east coast. There's a look at your national forecast from Red Eye Radio. I'm meteorologist John Trout.
if you don't know what the topic is, it's all on you. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Welcome and good morning. Thanks so much for being here uh, this morning. Uh, just We mentioned it at the beginning of the show. I want to mention it now. I am very happy to be back. As most of you know, my mother passed away uh, late last week, uh, and uh, I was off for a couple of days. Eric told you about it. I know on Thursday when I was gone, and I would just like to thank everybody out there for you know your your kindness and your compassion and your caring the correspondence that i received and i mean hundreds upon hundreds upon mm. hundreds of of uh you know facebook comments twitter comments emails mm. and they're all just wonderful and sometimes people lead with well, you know, words really can't change anything. Yeah, they do. Mm. They really, really, really do. Uh, I was telling Eric, uh, I think on Friday, when I talked to you very briefly, I said I just got through two emails, and I had to stop. I had to stop. Yeah, I became so emotional. I was overwhelmed, but it wasn't yeah. with grief. Yeah, right. I was overwhelmed that people would act, who I didn't know, who I don't know personally, but they know me through the radio. Mm -hmm. And the nice things that they said about, you know, me and you and my mom mm. and the relationship that they that I talked about so they knew what it was like blew my mind. And it brought me back to when you had many during different tragedies say stop it thoughts and prayers are meaningless mm. no they're not uh i love after the last few days i love somebody saying to me you're in my thoughts and you're in my prayers because odds are when they say that that and everything else surrounding it is the most wonderful thing and uplifting things you could ever read in your life at a time when you need it more than ever. Yeah. And I mean this in the fact that people right now are suffering. Take away the politics out of it. Just talk about people in general, what's going on, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, the, the economy and how you're being affected that way. Being away from your loved ones. Having someone in the hospital, when I first posted on Facebook that my mother had passed away, I, I number one, said I was, uh, you know, I am blessed. And I've always led with that. Yeah. That's not going to change. Right. My mother, here on this earth or not on this earth, mm. I am still blessed to have her. And you said you, when you put it in perspective, when I said for over 60 years, this, you know, beautiful and amazing woman has been in my life, you went, wow. When I read that tweet, and I, it was it was beautiful to begin with, but but when you said she's been my mother for over well over sixty years, and it it just hit me, uh, you know uh, what a blessing that really yes. really is. Uh, I mean, I, I was uh, wow talking to a friend of mine whose uh, um, you know mother was dead by the time that you know she was twenty. Her father was gone when she was ten. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I was blessed. I know life is finite. Yeah. And believe me, this was an extremely, extremely painful, uh, you know, last four days. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, for people that uh, 
don't know. I wasn't able to because of the coronavirus and the lockdowns in the hospital and everything else that's going on and the fact that my father got the bad flu at the same time my mother did. My mother did not have coronavirus, by the way. Right. Uh, flu, pneumonia, blood infection, yeah, and what happened was the, uh, you know, what, what accompanies that, uh, you know, is is uh, what killed her. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know, so nobody wanted me around my dad. I didn't want to be around my dad, right, or anybody else. And they said, "Look, you've got two of the underlying conditions. You don't, you know, look, you're not going to come here and stay in a hotel and not be able to see anybody, right, and and expose yourself." So, uh, the over two weeks that my mom was in the hospital, and for the majority of that time, we knew she was going downhill. And Eric, mm-hmm. thank you so much again. I thanked you earlier. I'll thank you probably for the next year. Thank you so much for just your kindness and compassion over that time because it was a very tough time, you know, every day coming on the air. And coming on the air, though, was a great way to take your mind off of it. My dad and I laughed, by the way, yesterday. I said, Dad, think about this. You know, I said, I'm going to be going back to work, uh, you know, later on. This was, uh, yeah, yesterday. So I'm going to be going back to work later on today. I said, I could take another day off. I said, but uh, I've been alone. I had to watch, just so people know, I had to look at my mother's funeral. Mm-hmm. something that I never thought. If you would have told me this at any time in my life, I would have said, you're out of your mind. I will be there. Nothing could, well, something did. Yeah. And and so I had to watch my the, the, the viewing, which was a very short viewing with just immediate family right before the actual funeral. Uh, everything was done in a span of a couple of hours from the viewing to the short funeral uh, in a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, the burial afterwards, FaceTime and Google Duel is how I uh, saw you know the the viewing yeah. and also the the burial afterwards, and then the church stream live. It was as surreal as anything could possibly be. The only way that I got through it, my family got through it with the spirits that they did and the happiness that they did and expressed in that time was because we all simply said, "What would Mom want us to do?" She would say, "Always, you know, the unexpected is going to happen." You got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it with a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that the unexpected would ever be anything close to this. But when I wrote the other day uh, about, you know, having my parents, you know, that I've, I've been so blessed and having my parents uh, for 60 years, uh, I also put in there that my mother, I said, look, she would want me to tell everybody to keep in their thoughts and prayers, everybody else and every family that was in the situation we've been in for the last three weeks. She'd want you to think of others. We got through this, and we got through this as a family stronger. D- again, death is inevitable. Doesn't mean I won't miss my mom and won't think about her and won't, you know, won't agonize about, you know, everything that has happened in the future. I'm not done grieving, and I won't be done grieving uh, for a while. I don't think a lot of people say you never get over it. I would tend to say, yeah, you learn to deal with it, but you never, ever, ever get over it. Mm. One of the best things about my mom being my mom was my mother was extremely black and white, extremely moral. It's either right or wrong. There is a clarity that I have right now about anything I do in my life. In fact, how we responded to everything over the last three weeks, Mm. the strength of that all came from everybody understanding with absolute clarity what my mother would want. Yep. And that has brought unbelievable comfort to me. Unbelievable, uh, uh, you know, contentment uh, uh, to me. And 
and and happiness. Mm. And as I said, I didn't never got to see my mom live in the hospital because of the restrictions and lockdowns in the hospital. But I was able to talk to her three times, once in the very beginning when we had some hope, and then two the last you know two days that she was alive, and it was done by video conference. And she was unresponsive except for maybe four or five times. And she actually reacted to some of the things that I said. And you just never know in life that in the most tragic situations where you just, you know, you think to yourself at that point, my mom's going to be gone. Mm. And you think to yourself when that happens in your life, you can't find any joy out of it. And there you are, your mother's, you know, she's on her deathbed. And she reacts, and you know she's reacting. And I knew that she was laughing at one point by the movements of her shoulder. And I said, Mom, are you laughing? And the movements in her face and the twitch in her mouth and everything else. And it just was the most joyful moment in the midst of absolute tragedy. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm even blessed here mm. on something that is so horrible that you can't imagine being in it. And I walk away going, I'm blessed. And after, I never forget the only thing that I would have wished for, but I think I would have wished for that every single day, which, and I told you this uh, last uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, when I talked to my mom two days in a row, and we knew she was, we knew at that point, I mean, it was just a matter of hours. Mm -hmm. And I said to you, if I could just have one more day, I'd love to do it again tomorrow. And I was, when I first had to talk to her in the hospital, I was like, what do you do? This is like, I, I can't do this. And two days later, I'm like, I hope I get to talk to her one day to see if I get a reaction, to see if I can somehow communicate with her and be her partner on you know, on, on, on the way out to the new world. And so I just, well, okay, maybe I'm just babbling right now, but it's just the things well, that no, I, the I things mean, that I experienced. It's, it's and an I, experience. Yeah. It is. And, and, and as you describe it, it's very beautiful, um, that we all hope to be fortunate enough to have. You know? Yes. And, and my dad's doing okay. Just so people, yeah. my, my, my dad's doing okay. As, as good as anybody can possibly do. And there was a lot of mm -hmm. joy yeah. yesterday. Uh, there was a lot of joy. And as I said, some things, uh, it will take me a long time to process as it does everybody else who's gone through this. And probably the majority of people that I'm talking to is lost a close family member. Yeah. And maybe a lot of you can relate to what I'm, you know, what, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying here that, mm. you know, it's just, uh, uh, the the joy that my family, the joy that my family expressed for the life of my mother yesterday, because you always say people people always say that we're really going to celebrate her life, mm. and I have to say because I was on the phone the majority of the time, you know, what do they call face FaceTime FaceTiming with them, mm -hmm. they led, yeah, you know, my family led with the joy. I I sort of followed it with them in there. I wasn't sure it was going. And so just, I just, it was incredible. And as I said, after my mom was, you know, buried, they were, it's the family plot up there and they're going through my aunts and uncles. There was laughter. There was joy. There was everything else. And right. I went, wow, this is just, it was, uh, it was overwhelming. Just like so many of the responses from so many of our great listeners, it was overwhelming, but in a good way. Not a bad way. Yeah. I was crying mm. out of joy. Yeah, out of right. I can't believe these people that don't know me, listeners that don't know me personally, but hear the show and they mm -hmm. say, "Look, we hear the show and we like the show, and we believe you're actually you guys tell us what you actually are like." Mm. And so, yeah, we buy into it. that's what you're like, so we relate to you. Right. And so the the kindness and caring that came from so many of our listeners, I can never repay any of you for that. 
And yeah, and I and it I, was it was beautiful to witness that uh, as I saw that uh, you know while you were gone, just witnessing that and people sharing on social media and on email and through phone calls. And I, you know, again, it was just something that I was just a witness to, and it was very humbling. It it, it really was. It was greatly appreciated. But I love thoughts and prayers. I love it. Yeah. You know, there was that great debate, and we said, because it's a stupid debate back then, but when you actually feel it, because mm. I always thought, how do people think about it when somebody, their love dies, and all these people respond, thoughts and prayers, do you get bitter? Because uh, there was one listener said, you know, asked the question, you know, hope you're not bitter. Right. And I know how you can get there, not going there. Right. Not Not ever going to go there, and so... The thoughts and prayers are the most wonderful things that I could possibly ever imagine. I never thought. Hmm. I always thought, okay, maybe it has some impact. I never thought the impact of other people telling you that they care could mean so much. Right. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all of our listeners out there. I really appreciate And I will try. I will get to every one of of uh, your you know every, anybody who corresponded with me i'll get to it it may take me days to do so mm. but i will i will send you a personal message back yeah great i owe you that at the minimum yeah it's red eye radio drivers are friends at packar have a product for your toolbox called PackLink. it provides real-time information about what's going on with your truck michelle moline is manager of product development for PackLink and has more details PackLink is basically a mobile diagnostic device that has a bluetooth chip in it that allows you to use your phone to read why the check engine light is on in your truck. One of our biggest users is actually our own dealerships at Packar. Now, our dealers are also reselling this product to customers, and customers, owner-operators, or fleet drivers use this while they're on the road so that if they have a check engine light that comes on, they can easily just use their phone to plug this thing in and see what's going on and then either send a report back to their dispatcher to await further instructions or, in the case of an owner-operator, possibly even just figure out what needs to be done and go from there. It's a very simple ordering process. Go to packar.com slash packlink, P-A-C-L-I-N-K. I should mention, too, that if you're a member of OOIBA Association, you receive a 10% discount by logging into the OOIBA website. This report is a service of Shell Rotella. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Counseling people, Eric, to eat healthy and exercise while stuck inside during the COVID-19 quarantine is mm-hmm. traumatizing to heavy people, according to a, quote, fat studies professor at the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> okay. There's a fat studies professor at the University of Wisconsin? Well, writing on her Too Fat Professor's blog. <laughs> I almost said blob. <laughs> <laughs> The blob I really blob. did. I almost said blob. All right. Uh, Dr. Darcy uh, Thorne argues that advice about how to avoid weight gain during a global public health disaster will continue to traumatize people who are already being traumatized. Okay. All right. Well, then all I'm right. going to eat all the carbs I want, and if my doctor bothers me, I'm going to I'm I'm going to have him reported. Yeah. <laughs> you need to complain. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One.